Okay, cutting in here again, your Supreme Hierophant, Rob. Uh, just to let you know, this is part two of our Anna Kingsford episodes, uh, which again, we did not pre-plan, but it just recorded them and they, they ran so long that it made more sense, easier to digest if we split it into two parts. To remind you, uh, last time uh, on our Anna Kingsford two-part series. Uh, We uh, met Anna Kingsford, who is an anti-vivisectionist. She's against the uh, experimentation on animals, uh, which used to be done in the 19th century on live animals. So she was a crusader against that cause. Vegetarianism was a major uh, theme of hers. And she went to medical school uh, in Paris and and did a lot of her work at home. Uh, And Kingsford uh, was beginning to write on and explore uh, through a kind of like channeling process Um, Christianity as an occult religion, or or rather the occult side of Christianity, the the deep esoteric religion undergirding Christian thought. Uh, So we're going to pick up here uh, as Kingsford uh, gets ready to write her her magnum opus with Edward Maitland, uh, The Perfect Way of Christ. In summer 1881, Kingsford gave a series of lectures in London on religion and occultism. These came to be called her Perfect Way Lectures, and they were attended by several luminaries in the fields of theosophy and parapsychology, including Charles Carlton Massey, then president of the British Theosophical Society, the spiritualist medium and writer Stainton Moses, Isabel de Steiger, and Frank Podmore, who co-wrote Phantasms of the Living with Edmund Gurney and Frederick Myers, and also got an episode here on the show. Kingsford said that the divine inspiration through which she composed the lectures was entirely beyond her control. After the lectures were complete, she and Maitland compiled them into a book, The Perfect Way, or The Finding of Christ, which was published anonymously in February 1882 in order to allow the arguments to stand on their own. So in other words, she didn't want to use her own credentials, or Maitland's credentials. It wasn't until five years later that they would produce a version naming themselves as the authors. So initially, they just wanted to see how the public would respond to it before they said, no, it was us. So they're not ashamed of the ideas. Like the key before it, The Perfect Way sought to argue against both dogmatic fundamentalism and atheistic materialism. Amen, sister. (laughs) In The Perfect Way, Kingsford brought her thesis about the feminine nature of God to its fullest articulation, with the feminine being the intuitive and the masculine the intellectual. She's not saying that men are like this and women are like that, so uh, easy out out there, my gender-fluid friends. She's saying that there is masculine and there is feminine. Each of us as individuals, let me just give you some modern gender theory, are a blend of masculine and feminine properties. I mean, I am neither fully masculine nor fully feminine, neither is Nikki, neither is Brie. We're all a little bit masculine, a little bit feminine in different quantities. This is a 19th century idea for cutting-edge spiritualists and occultists, though. This would not be a foreign concept that masculine and feminine are not man and woman or male and female. You see me? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I love this. So she reasserted that all things of God and the soul can be understood through pure reason. Miracles are no root to teaching or ennobling the soul, only understanding. These similarities aside, there are important differences as well, uh, which mark an evolution in her thinking. While still centered on a Christian esotericism with the perfect way, she and Maitland fully embraced the Hindu concept of reincarnation and the theosophical doctrine of the transmigration of souls. 
The soul, she said, remains for a thousand years in connection more or less close with matter until affected by experience of all the lessons afforded by the body. She passes on to the higher conditions of being. So life is a school for the soul. The individual's goal through their various incarnations is to dematerialize by purifying or spiritualizing both soul and body, raising us up to that next plane. We'll get to what happens when you raise. Much like Blavatsky, Kingsford split the human into metaphysical components. The human possesses a fourfold nature. Blavatsky, I think, went to three, but she's saying four. You've got your materia body, your fluidic perisoul, your astral body, and your soul. Got me? Yes. Another way to think about this is the spirit uh, divine, or divine father of life in the system. Uh, so that's the soul. Soul, spirit, God, inner God, Brie. That's all same idea. Okay. So the, your soul is the key to dematerialization as the mediator between your material self and your spiritual self and the aspect of the self that's responsible for understanding the truths necessary to spiritualize the self. So it's also like your, under, your intellect is also tied up in your soul. All that having been said, both spirit and matter are derived from a single substance, a monad that has a tr- tripartite manifestation, the physical, the intellectual, and the spiritual. An oil lamp serves as Kingsford's metaphor. Body, then, is the lamp case into which the oil is poured. And this, the oil, is the soul, a fine and combustible fluid. And the flame is the divine spirit, which is not born of the oil, but is communicated by the hand of God. Yeah, kind of, you can see that visualization. Yeah. Well... Whereas Kingsford and Maitland's fictional priest attested that Catholic Christianity was the superior religion, the perfect way argued that a true student of religion must study all religions in order to realize the interconnection between Jesus of Nazareth and the Christs, that's Christ plural, the many Christs that came before. Oh, okay. Yeah, got me? Yeah. She names Osiris, Mithras, Krishna, and Buddha, etc., This new occult doctrine also made reference to the ancient lodges of Indian and Egyptian mystery cults as the source for knowledge of the transmigration of souls. The truth, including Christian truth, had not been fully revealed, but some was held back for future disclosure. Their knowledge of this occult truth drew on intuitional memory inspired by a divine influx and measured against reason. So here you have the balance of intuition, the feminine intuition, and the masculine intellectualism. It takes two to tango. You have to have both as an individual. You need to be intuitive to be able to grasp these spiritual truths, but then you need to reason them through. You can't just say, well, you know, God told me so. Therefore, it's true. I mean, like so many cult leaders have. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Why should you listen to me? Because God told me. She says, no, God told you, fine, that's fine. But if it's really God who told you, then it will make sense. You will be able to defend and argue for whatever it is you've discovered intuition-wise. Mm. I like that. Right? Yeah. In Kingsford's theosophy, there are two main phases of the history of existence. First, 
is creation, which is a going out from God ultimately into matter. This is the masculine phase identified with Jehovah of the Old Testament, a far more generous treatment uh, than Jehovah received in the key. So here she's being kinder to Yahweh, to the Old Testament God. She's not saying that Yahweh was this, you know, old tyrant of a God that needed to, you know, be replaced by himself. (laughs) (laughs) She's saying that this was the masculine phase, that this was part of the progress of the universe, and it began with this masculine phase, or at least that's what we see in the Bible is the masculine phase. The second phase is redemption, which is the full compensation to God and the universe for everything uh, that it's undergone or suffered through creation. So uh, God as masculine is the essence of life, and God as feminine is the essence of substance, as in the one substance of all matter and soul. The masculine is creation, the feminine, love. Mm. Got me? Yeah. Redemption is a movement from matter to spirit, from outside external to inside internal. This happens on a microcosmic scale as individual souls, you and me, begin in our lowest forms of organic life and work our way up to humans. Finally, we fully spiritualize ourselves. So congratulations on making it this far. Well. <laughs> souls are generated within astral bodies through the polarization of the elements the focusing of magnetic forces within these elements toward a single center which kindles a kind of spark or fire souls can tend toward unity with the divine or toward disunity and dissolution like Blavatsky Kingsford argued that eternal progress is not guaranteed for souls who will not seek the spirit and souls who fail to spiritualize gradually move toward their own destruction. Interestingly, the union with God is not itself a dissolution of the self into the divine Godhead. The gathering multiplicity of God was actually a favorite notion of Maitland's. Though becoming pure spirit, or God, the individual retains his individuality, so that instead of all being finally merged in the one, the one becomes many. Thus does God become millions. Basically says that when we rejoin God, we stay ourselves, but with God. So God's ultimate progress, like God's evolution, is to materialize within our bodies and then ascend back to, you know, spirit. But now God, the one, becomes the many. Let that sink in. So that's what she means by, you know, that, that spiritualization. We still stay ourselves, but we're all joined up together in this God essence. Mm. We realize our oneness with God, yeah. but it, God becomes many through us. As humans move individually toward this goal, redemption is also happening on a macrocosmic scale, extending the concept of God's manifestation in the many. The planet itself has undergone a fourfold journey, much like these individual souls. The planet was first just body and parasol, or astral body, which were its metallic and magnetic envelopes. Life formed the planet's soul, and then humanity formed its spirit, or its highest essence. Um, This highest essence, us, we are destined for union with God. 
So you can think about our personal evolution and the evolution of the Earth as being the same thing. Earth was once just a hunk of rock. For some reason, life formed. And then for some reason, that life became us complex human beings. As we're moving our way towards spiritualization. The planet soul, like the human soul, can pass on to higher planes and form new, more elevated worlds. As the soul of the human unit transmigrates and passes on, so likewise, she says, does the psyche of the planet. I don't even know how that works or what that means, but Earth can become a higher planet, a higher world. I have thoughts on that. I wonder how... If she could see our planet today, how she would feel about that notion. Because it feels like the reverse is happening. Due to us elevating. Yeah? Yeah. Is that bold of me to say? I see where you're coming from. uh, Blavatsky, as a counterpoint, would argue that we are still materializing. We have not hit the spiritual upswing. Okay. So uh, Kingsford may or may not be on board with that, but I'm sure if she, I think you're right. If she looked at us the way we're living these days, she would not say that we're on a spiritual upswing. We have not arrived. Yeah. Okay. I think, I mean, it's an interesting debate. Technology is that bringing us into this realm of pure reason? Is it getting us out of our bodily existence? I think ultimately, no, there's a lot of pornography and I'm no anti-porner. You've heard me on previous episodes arguing for pornography, that it's okay if that's your thing and whatever. But social media, the display of our bodies and ourselves, like I, I think the internet has not really made us have higher, more spiritual thoughts. I think if anything with the internet and also even when it comes to engineering and advances in technology, we're relying even more on our physical rather than anything else, because we're relying on our physical to make these developments and to use these developments. Like we're forcing ourselves into a place where we have to use them and yeah. experience them. And we continue to be obsessed in, you know, like this Elon Musk way with, Right. Our survive, our physical survival, you know, our emigration right. to Mars, the perpetuation of our physical selves. There's no embrace Ugh. of of annihilation, which I think would be a more spiritual approach. It, annihilation is something we are continually fighting. I'd also it baffles say, me. well, but <laughs> it's human nature. I guess it's our lower nature. I mean, all yeah. animals fight to survive, right? That's true. We just have a hyper-awareness of our mortality. I guess there's just a degree that... I think there's an acceptable degree to be like, I am a living thing. Like, I I need to fight to survive. But we fight to survive so that one day we can die in an appropriate way and, and in a way that we can say that we can respect because we lived our life a way we respect I don't know. Uh, yeah, and I think individuals may be pulling that out off, but species-wide, I, I, th- I mean, we love the musks. We love that. Oh, I hate it. <laughs> you know, the Twitter yeah. and the SpaceX and all that sort of stuff. You know, and, and I think yeah. the other thing I'd th- toss in here, just, you know, f- from my own standpoint, Kingsford would not be thrilled with the way agriculture has developed. <laughs> 
overall. Oh, goodness, yeah. I mean, not that agriculture in the 19th century was kind, but factory farming, my goodness, does not speak highly of humankind as an empathetic, evolving, you know, it's a problem. Uh, Morally, it's a moral problem. Yeah. (laughs) Anyhow. Both in the planet Earth and in the individual, the four old aspects of creation, or fourfold aspects of creation, are further subdivided. The material has four parts. The material world has four parts. So everything is in fours for her. So here's how the material world divides. We have the gas, the mineral, the vegetable, and the animal. So you can see a kind of evolution there. The astral world is divided into the magnetic, the purgatorial, the limbic, and the cherubic. <laughs> Purgatory. I guess the first so three. What's the last one mean? Like, I'm, I'll get into them. I'll get into them. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Cherubic. I think she means angelic. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. And then the soul uh, is divided into the elemental, the instinctive, the vital, and the rational. So there you have rationality again at the top. The spirit has only three parts because it has no external aspect, uh, and the three parts of the spirit are the essence, the father, and the word. The Ooh. lowest tier, the word. The soul is I like the word. That, um, like for someone who's so religion based, that like rational, like rationalizing things and being able to make sense of them. It's like something she really advocates for because with a lot of religions, they don't want that. Like, well, not with a Which lot of religions, with a lot of people who preach religion, they don't want right. that. They don't want you to be asking questions and stuff like that. It's like the cult leader mentality of just like, here, I'm telling you the truth. Listen, believe it, follow me. But like the way that she really wants you to think things through and be your own individual person while being religious. You know, she's not saying against religion. She's saying with religion, use your logic. Yeah. It lets us off the hook. Those of us who like to think, uh, because (laughs) I I see where you're coming from, Nikki. I mean, we're made to feel badly. You know, you're supposed to just have faith and faith is supposed to be a good unto itself. But, you know, you have questions, and when you have questions, the answer is, well, you've got to have faith to get past the question. But, yeah, Kingsford's saying, no, 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 no. Faith is all well and good, but you should also be thinking these things through. That is part of what you're up to here. And and I don't want to say that through history, the Catholics, you know, and and the Jews, uh, and many Hindus, like, you know, the Brahmin priests have really thought deeply about the implications of their belief systems. I don't want to say this is a new thing, but in the modern world, yeah, I I think that we tend to divide rationality and faith as if they're Mm -hmm. two separate things. But she's saying, no, no, they're the same. Or they're part of the same activity. Because they are, and you do need both of those things. You can't really just have one or the other as much as we kind of act like you can. This is a path to God. What we're doing is a path to God here. We are not separating people from God by talking and thinking through questions that, you know, people like Kingsford raise. We're actually helping. I mean, so, it, of course, I love this. It strokes my ego. I'm, I'm delighted. I love this so much. So let's get into the tiers a bit. The lowest tier is occupied by shades. These are astral bodies whose spirits have departed 
Also, the mindless shades of events, which are often mistaken for ghosts, but are only reflections in other planes of being of things that have happened in the past. You oh, sort of cool. hold a belief like this, oh, right? I've seen this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Haven't you talked about this, this my, Yeah, this is yeah. my my spiritual work has a lot to do with this. But so you make a similar distinction. You think that there are these sort of like remnant um, mm-hmm. energies that are not tied to any individuals that are like event-based. I've heard there that are definitely. Too. Events and there, uh, there, there's different. It depends on the 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 perspective that you're looking at it from. Whether it's like spiritual medium perspective, where I literally can't think of the word that they use right I now. I think that's the one oh I'm trying God. to think of. It is. It's that a, is the one a, you're thinking of. Oh shoot! It's a something spirit. It's a. Oh, it's um. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, it. it there's these imprints that are kind of left behind. And, and for me, I kind of attach it to emotional or like uh, just a, it's a type of significance, whether it be emotional or just a general significance. So like times of war or like an emotional trauma, they mm-hmm. leave imprints of those events. And sometimes you can see them happen again. I've straight up gone to places and I've, seeing things kind of be relived in front of me and there's no interaction with it it just happens like it's like a loop that's mm-hmm. that's happening because there was such residual. a strong yes All right. residual. <laughs> residual spirit. there we go i got it yeah well the medium claims to be able to do something called psychometry which is reading an object or a space for those right. residual traces of things that came before or the people that had been attached but she's and, she's also saying there are these actual entities. So right, it's not they definitely all are. It's a mix of both that I've encountered uh, in my physical body and also in my astral body. I've experienced both. Let's jump up a tier. In the third tier, souls are in purgatorial suffering, working toward their next incarnation, as well as uh, powerful devils are also on the third tier, who are souls of the evil dead who spend their energy up torturing the living until they dissipate and are gone forever. Oof. It's accurate, but I don't think they go away. Ooh, dark man. <laughs> it's even creepier. It's about, the, it's about the imprinting. They don't fully. They they will not be gone. I don't think anything can ever be exercised. I don't believe that those sorts of things go away. You just take away their food source. Well, this is part of her grander argument that if you are not spiritually evolving once you've reached the human level, that eventually your soul just ceases to Dissipates. be. Yeah, Blavatsky said mm. the same thing. Um, but I guess I can see it. I can see it from a. I think I can see it where it then would become a non-active thing. It wouldn't be a mindless spirit. It would just yeah. right. It would just be a a loop of what it was. Kingsford says, uh, as their career approaches the end, speaking of these spirits, they become so low in vitality that a sentence of expulsion from the person in whom they have taken refuge may involve their immediate extinction unless they can find another location. So uh, this is a possessing spirit is what she's talking about here. One earns dissolution not by a single crime or a repeated crime, but rather by a condition of the will in opposition to the divine will. A sec- so, so you're really actively trying to distance yourself from God's purpose for you. Jumping up a tier, the second tier corresponds to water and is filled with those peacefully seeking reincarnation, either from the human or animal realm. Finally, we get to the highest tier, which is occupied by the elementals, which pervade all things. 
By the way, the invisible world is also occupied by what she calls magnetic spirits who tempt humans by flattering their ambitions and promising that they will realize them in their lifetimes. They are hostile mm. to the female impulse, which, put, which outs their designs through intuition, and emphasize the masculine at the expense of the feminine. So there's a lesson here about rationality, that it has its limits. If you're intuitively feeling like something is wrong or something is off, you need to honor that and deal with that feeling, not dismiss it. Mm -hmm. Because you could be being misled, is what she's saying, spiritually. Spiritually and in real life, ladies. (laughs) (laughs) And men. Look, if you're ever in a situation, not just ladies, I'm just, that's just, it seems to be a current trend. (laughs) But, uh... Ladies and gents, or those who don't identify, non-binary everybody friends. involved, be careful spiritually, out there. physically, <laughs> follow your gut, because you're probably right about something. They're fed by luxurious living, these magnetic spirits, and function like vampires, depleting the vital energy of their hosts. Yes, we've all had that girlfriend, boyfriend partner mm, uh they can also call delirium cause delirium and hysteria yep they are responsible <laughs> I, I think i might still um i think that's just any partner <laughs> they are, that's what it that's love nikki um, <laughs> they are responsible for instilling false doctrines in their victims uh kingsford hates uh, the concept of free love for example shows she tosses this in here uh, 19th century concept of free love. See our episode on Vicki Woodhull. Ideas, words, sentences, whole systems of philosophy may be born in the consciousness by means of the currents of magnetic force. Wherever we find a systematic deprivation of women, advocacy of bloodshed and materialization of things spiritual, there we may be confident does astral influence prevail. Magnetic spirits, she says, are not to be confused with the elemental or nature spirits. Adepts can work through and with them, but they are dangerous and lack moral sense. Additionally, every human has attached to him her, him or her an angel or genius whose job it is to speak as an agent of God with the voice of God to the individual. So this is the counterpoint. So we have these magnetic spirits trying to, you know, lead us astray, the devil, the demon. Well, and then we have. Yeah, or anywhere, really. Uh, and then we have these geniuses. These are the angels. Um, oh, that's so weird. So this is like a little thing, but um, before we moved out of my old house, um, one of my mother's friends, she's like really into this sort of thing and like heavily has a belief in this sort of like angel thing that we have like these geniuses and it's she believes in god but she also kind of believes in everything she's kind of chill um (laughs) cool but i know that i have um my my goddess kind of always with me like and i and my what i assume is my representation of my goddess you're genius Um, yeah and uh when she had come to the house um we could see each other's geniuses that's cool yeah, uh, she claimed hers to be um, Michael. Um, ah. cool. Yeah, that's also it cool. was weird. Yeah, no, I was just like that made me think of that because I was like literally like standing with us, we could see each other's. Yeah, weird. Your genius will guide you, but never control you, and is only necessary as long as you have a fourfold nature. 
Through the mm. spiritual marriage, the soul and spirit become one, and then the body dissolves at death, bringing the three down to two, soul, spirit, and astral body, which are in turn united. This is when you attain the status of a Christ. Speaking of a Christ, that brings us to one of Kingsford's and Maitland's central themes, redemption. The notion that Jesus' physical suffering and death on the cross atones for humankind's sin is a kind of idolatry, mistaking a physical event for a spiritual liberation. Oh boy, here we go. Now she's really coming for the Christian brand. (laughs) The spirit, she says, can only atone through spiritual action, not physical action. And that action must be taken by the individual, not on behalf of the individual. Substitutionary atonement of Christ. This is just like, have you guys ever seen that meme where it's like, Jesus died for my sins, that's toxic? Like, I didn't ask him to do that. That's literally like, not <laughs> yeah. exactly, but that's what this makes me think of. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. I mean, it's, yes, but it's flipped, right? It's, it's saying Jesus died for my sins, therefore Jesus will get me out of whatever. But no, Kingsford's saying, no, 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 you're, you're on your own, kid. Those you got to do the work. Yeah, it's, you got to do your work. You make your choices as a person. You got to dig yourself out of the hole you put yourself in. Anyway, you got to do it spiritually and in real life. <laughs> she makes this, I think, an even more pointed because I really like critiques that get at um, the religion on its own terms. She says blood sacrifice, the sacrifice on the cross, was an old temple practice of ancient Judaism, which Jesus argued against. So she mm-hmm. points out a weird irony to Christianity. The claim is, right? I mean, so Jesus came and said, you don't need to do blood sacrifices in the temple anymore. But then the Christian claim is, yeah, (laughs) that Jesus is making a blood sacrifice. (laughs) It's a little odd. Do what I say, not what I do. Uh, Furthermore, blood is often used by magicians to invoke elemental phantoms. Quoting Kingsford, the effusion of physical blood has in all agents been a means whereby magicians have evoked astral phantoms or phantasmagoric reflex in the magnetic light. Buddha also abhorred blood sacrifice and classed it with the eating of meat. Blood, in this view, causes the consumer to become infested by dark entities. This connects nicely with Kingsford's vegetarianism, which she says is essential for the elevation of the body and the soul, also connects with her anti-vivisection campaign, of course, when we think about the animals, um, and explains a lot about Aleister Crowley. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Down the line. Yeah. (laughs) The great consumer of blood cakes. Too much blood. Too much blood. Furthermore, the cross is similarly not a symbol of crucifixion, or rather not a specific crucifixion. The cross is a prehistoric symbol showing the significance of the fourfold nature of existence. So basically, she's arguing like you want to imagine a circle with a cross in the middle, but not, Mm -hmm. you know, a crucifixion cross. The cross itself is an occult symbol because there's that magic number four. Mm -hmm. Fourfold in meaning, having four points and making four angles. Dividing the circle into four equal parts, the cross betrays the perfect union, balance, equality, and at one meant of all four planes and in all four worlds more generally symbolizes the death of the body, allowing for the human will to reconcile with the divine will. The whole of the cosmos and its suffering and constant struggle back to pure spiritualization undergoes a kind of crucifixion. So it's a nice metaphor, but let's not take it too far. (laughs) 
Kingsford and Maitland assert a doctrine of panpsychism, that consciousness is in everything. Every molecule has its own memory, insofar as everything that happens to it leaves its impression or mark. All molecules have consciousness to varying degrees, including the molecules and cells that make up our own bodies. They also have their own spiritual substance and are in a steady progress of evolution. Our souls, she says, uh, then are the agglomerate essences of the numberless consciousnesses composing us. They have grown, evolving gradually from rudimentary entities which are themselves evolved by polarization from gaseous and mineral matter. So think about that. Your soul is not... I mean, we think about ourselves as a singular entity, but how we got here is a bunch of little souls worked their way up and joined together and formed us. Aw, good for those little souls. Look at them go. Good for your little souls, Nikki. It's kind of poetic. I like it. <laughs> yeah. The primary principle is spirit or God, but a secondary principle is necessary to split this primary principle off into individuals. Soul is what separates and is derived from spirit, and the soul is the seat of consciousness. We are like water. Just as the molecules of hydrogen and oxygen can combine to make water, souls combine to form us, and we combine to form the world which combines with other worlds to form the God consciousness. She says the central unity of consciousness constituted of the association of all the consciousnesses of his system is more than the sum total of these inasmuch as it is on a higher level. So cool. That's pretty metal. Yeah. Isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, Damn. I haven't said that for a while. <laughs> <laughs> it's That's so metal. pretty good. Yeah. While scientists might argue that consciousness is merely the movements of chemicals and electricity in the brain, this equates brain states to any other physical state of the world which does not imply subjectivity. And yet we know from firsthand experience that we have subjectivity. We go through the world thinking we have our own thoughts and opinions, don't we? So Kingsford's yes, making an argument do. for the existence of consciousness as a spiritual entity. I mean, and this is something we did on this show five years ago, but she did this in the 1870s. <laughs> to what subject do these successive and ephemeral conditions manifest themselves? And how are they recognized? Phenomenon is incapable of cognizing itself and appears not to itself being objective only. So that unless there be an inner subjectivity to perceive and remember this succession of phenomenal states, the condition of personality would be impossible. So there's got to be an us, an, an I here, or how would we have personalities? How would we c- comprehend ourselves as being? In their lecture on the fall of Adam and Eve, Kingsford and Maitland follow Blavatsky, Woodhull, and other occultists in deciding that Darwin's theory does not so much disprove the Garden of Eden, but rather reveals that the Genesis story is actually a metaphor for secret spiritual truths. These truths are actually Egyptian in origin, adopted by the Jews afterward from the various cultures they engaged with. The four rivers that flow through Eden are the beginning of this key, representing the fourfold aspect of creation and the self. Here, Kingsford gets into the feminine nature of the spirit. She says, Adam represents the bodily or sensuous nature in man and his wife, his psychic and spiritual nature. So we got to separate, we got to think of Adam and Eve as, as this metaphor now. Unfallen or sinless humanity is when the sense nature Adam was subject to the rule of the soul Eve. So that's the proper order. 
The forbidden fruit is consciousness, which is drawn down by Prometheus or the serpent as the fire of heaven into pseudo-thought, or thought focused on the senses. Regeneration and redemption are the elevation of consciousness to the soul. So our minds get caught up in our sense existence, and we need to focus them back on soul existence. She says, the general tendency toward matter and sense is the fall. To know that they were naked was to become aware of the body and fall into the world of the body. Mm. The, story, the story of Adam and Eve actually holds up to several interrelated interpretations, getting still closer to its occult meaning in her text. In the ethical and psychic reading, Adam is reason and Eve is faith or conscience. The serpent is human's lower nature. The tree of knowledge is the kingdom of this world and the tree of life is the kingdom of God. Our goal then is to transcend the serpent's temptation to the lower world to attain the tree of life. In the last and innermost or most occult interpretation, Kingsford says, Tree of divination of knowledge becomes motion or the kulpa. The period of existence is distinguished from being. The tree of life is rest or Sabbath, the nirvana. Adam is manifestation. The serpent, no longer of the lower, but of the higher sphere, is a celestial serpent or seraph of heavenly counsel. This is all very abstract, uh, but my take on this is that humanity's goal is to move from motion to rest. So Adam is manifesting, needing to do stuff, needing to be, and we need to work our way toward rest. That's the trajectory of creation, to chill. Nice. I can get with that, yeah. <laughs> could use a little more of that. <laughs> Among a lot the of people most, could. Yeah, right? I, I could, uh, yeah. I would like to instruct a lot of people in exactly this idea. <laughs> I mean, I guess here we are. Among the most striking images in the book is a mystical vision that Kingsford had of the Buddha. So I'm going to close uh, with this. We're going to get back to Kingsford's life, but I want to close our discussion of her book here with this vision. She had a vision of the Buddha preaching that all the idols shall be destroyed. And as she was having this vision, she says, a cloud passed before the Buddha, and now it seemed to assume the shape of Jesus. So you're seeing this overlap of religious icons. They're all really one. In the vision, Kingsford was shown then three curtains standing before the light of God. The curtains were blood, idolatry, and the curse of Eve blood is sort of self-explanatory i think that gets at her conversation about blood sacrifice being old school and we need to move past that the curtain of idolatry she says is heavy with gold and silver and covered in images of deities across the world so this is also a distraction we need to get past this the curtain of eve's curse shows four lilies inverted on a single stem with cups downward this is so occulty behind the veil yeah, it really is. And if we can get past the curse of Eve, behind that veil, we'll see the ga- la- landscape of the Garden of Eden. To reach Eden, we must pass through each of these phases as a species and as individuals. Okay, so how was this book received? A.P. Sinnott, a major theosophist we talked about in our Blavatsky series, uh, close to Blavatsky in India, reviewed the book in The Theosophist, and he generally approved, but he was puzzled by Kingsford's assertion that the soul was woman and that Christianity was anything but a benighted mess. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh. <laughs> okay, you lost me on the first point. You really got me on the second one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Helena Blavatsky weighed in, calling the book remarkable. And Kingsford and Maitland, she said, were esteemed, intellectual, and fitting representatives for theosophy. Samuel L. McGregor Mathers, of Golden Dawn fame, also loved the book, calling it one of the most deeply occult works that has been written for centuries. Dang. Yeah. Love it. In 1883, the British Theosophical Society was falling into disarray. So let's get back to the story of Kingsford's life here. And Charles Massey wrote to Anna to ask her to become its president. She agreed with Maitland. Uh, become, she agreed to, to this, by the way. Uh, and she asked that Maitland become co-vice president. Uh, and the organization changed its name to the London Lodge of the Theosophical Society, reasoning that all theosophical societies belong to the one body headquartered in Adyar, and so the British society was really a lodge of this larger order. Uh, Nothing too radical here. In a speech to the society, Kingsford argued that their collective aim was to unveil Isis and restore the mysteries, no matter which occult path they chose to follow. Here's where she starts to go off the rails a bit from Blavatsky's perspective. I mean, this is very interesting language no matter which occult path you choose to follow. So she's saying, you don't have to follow Blavatsky. We're all here together. All mysteries are the same mystery, so it doesn't matter which path you're taking. Very occult confessions, right? Oh my gosh, that just hit me, because that's like my belief on like religion as a whole. I think you said literally that, Brie, in it's one of mountain. our first like, We all season. take yeah. a different path. Yeah, we all take a different path, but at the end of the day, at the top of the mountain, it's probably the same thing. And theoretically, you know, the Theosophical Society is on board with this. But in practice, the British Theosophical Society and really the American and all over the globe, the global Theosophical Society is deep in the thrall of Blavatsky. So suggesting that there are alternate paths other than the one laid out by Blavatsky is a bit heretical. (laughs) Kingsford clashed with Blavatsky then over a series of issues, beginning with Blavatsky's publication of advertisements for the works of anti-Christian atheist and birth control advocate Charles Bradlaugh on the cover of The Theosophist. So Blavatsky publishes this guy, atheist and birth control advocate Charles Bradlaugh. Blavatsky reasoned that this helped her cause against the Christian missionaries in India. So that's why she published this guy's advertisement. She thought, ah, this will stick it to the Christians. But Kingsford was troubled by Bradlaugh's atheist materialism. Yeah. It's the atheism that she's like, whoa, this is not theosophical. Same. That's what I'm confused about. (laughs) Right. So it was an odd choice on Blavatsky's part. She also fell on the wrong side of Sinnott and Blavatsky over what came to be called the Kittle incident. Okay. What is this? What is the Kittle incident? So, Sounds like some sort of like dog food. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> or, or like an Agatha Christie novel. So <laughs> Henry, Henry Kittle uh, was a spiritualist medium. And oh, he, it's a man. Yes. Yeah. yeah Henry. He, okay. he claimed that 24 lines that AP Sinnott uh, and let's remind you who A.P. Sinnott is. A.P. Sinnott was one of Blavatsky's close confederates who was responsible for publishing um, a lot of 
her of the revelations of the theos, of the masters, the ascended masters of the Theosophical Society who communicated with Sinnott and with Blavatsky and Alcott through these materialized letters. Sinnott was one of these, you know, top figures in theosophy. So here comes Henry Kittle, this spiritualist medium, and he says, 24 lines that you, A.P. Sinnott, in one of your books attributed to the ascended master Kut Humi were plagiarized from me. I wrote those in my own book. What? Let's let that sink in for a second. So somewhere on earth, A.P. Sinnott receives a a magical letter, because this was very common in the Theosophical Society, that... (laughs) Blavatsky yeah. would create or cause to, these ma- letters to materialize. I'm going to be, you know, pretty blunt about this, though. She wasn't always like the one who handed it to you. Sometimes, I mean, for, for Alcott and Sinnott and some of these guys, these letters like showed up without her being around, sometimes in, under mysterious circumstances. But in this case, um, Sinnott gets this letter and it contains 24 plagiarized lines from this other guy's book. An ascended master has plagiarized. Yikes. Kittle figures this out because Sinnott publishes Kuthumi's correspondence in his book or his, you know, in various books. And, and so here we are. In response, Anna Kingsford wrote that I look with sorrow and concern on the growing tendency of the Theosophical Society to introduce into its method the superstitions, the exaggerated veneration for persons and for personal authority, an element which has been the ruin of every other religious system in the past. So she's saying, I see this big scandal brewing up around Kut Humi and Blavatsky, but um, why do we care? Mm. Why are we so obsessed with these individuals humans are fallible and so kingsford worried over labeling any of the society's members unassailable prophets <clears throat> blavatsky who i love i have to say i love blavatsky I, this is yeah. my one episode where i'm going to pick on her because you if you see the buddha on the road you got to shoot the buddha this is what i'm doing here as for kuthumi The fact that his ascended status meant he was difficult, if not impossible, to question ran against the basic principle of open inquiry and the search for truth. And Kingsford refused to call Blavatsky's Mahatmas masters. She would never say Master Kuthumi or Master Moria, none of it. She said, not master, not my master, because I can't question him. Already is higher Mm. than God. You see, and and the Theosophical Society, no truth, you know, no religion higher than truth. Um, She's basically holding to that principle. Yeah. She asked, how shall I convince anyone that I am not under an hallucination in such matters? Or how even shall I persuade myself of the identity of the gods? She further distanced herself from Blavatsky and Sinnott by arguing that British theosophists would do better to study the esoteric meaning of Christianity since it was more familiar to them than attempt to penetrate the far more foreign complexities of Hindu and Buddhist philosophy. After all, esoteric religion was the same throughout all times and contexts. So if you take that premise that at heart all religions have this mystery, her argument is, and, and it's something that I sometimes struggle with as well, I'm fascinated by Hinduism, but it is wildly complex, and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm... A, a whole childhood and adolescence behind because I did not grow up in India, you know, with these images and stories ingrained into my, my mind. I, I read a book by an anthropologist 
an Indian anthropologist, uh, about white people coming to India and looking for gurus, which was very common in the 70s, but still happens today. We eat, pray, we love. And she observed the phenomenon whereby white people were very easily taken in by false gurus who would, you know, cheat them out of their money and, you know, leave them with nothing or even just, you know, on a, on a lower scale, just mislead them spiritually. Because these were often just like poor hippie kids or not poor middle-class hippie kids who made it to India. Maybe they didn't have a lot of money, but they would just get distracted and waste a lot of their time with these gurus. And her argument was that they don't have the cultural context to tell the difference between a lying false guru and a real guru. But the native Indian has uh, very little trouble distinguishing for the most part between these two. And Kingsford's saying this in other terms. She's saying we, we just don't have the the language, the vocabulary to tackle what Blavatsky's up to here. In part, I think that's what makes Blavatsky's work so fascinating to me. But for us as individuals, we should probably just deal with the myths that we know, that we grew up with, mm. that are part of our culture. I mean, Brie, you sort of do this, right? With the Norse, that's cultural heritage, yeah, and I've even um, looked into just like for funsies because I like to look at religious stuff like traditional um, like pagan Russian beliefs like mm-hmm. pre. It's, it actually generally mixes with orthodoxy. Actually, like traditional orthodoxy actually kind of included some of the earlier pagan parts of like specifically in like the Siberia sections of Russia. But, um, so yeah, you stick to what you, you, I mean, that's the Kingsford argument. Stick to what you know. Yeah. <laughs> Blavatsky certainly didn't feel that way. And, and I, I think that there are some people who argue and, and I, that getting out of your comfort zone is a, a way to find God. And maybe I'm open to that, but it also does the, the way is dark and, and perilous. Hmm. Blavatsky, for her part, in response, worried that Kingsford would turn the London Lodge all into a jelly uh, and wag them <laughs> wag them uh, as her tail more than ever. Turn them to a jelly and wag them as her tail more than ever. <laughs> that having been said, Blavatsky <laughs> wrote conflicting messages about Anna Kingsford. I mean, we know that she wrote positively about her book, but to Sinnott, uh, A.P. Sinnott, she was critical. But she also wrote to the London Lodge that the Masters supported Anna Kingsford. That is until 1884, when the Masters called for for a new president. Kingsford proposed splitting the Lodge into those interested in following Blavatsky's and Sinnott's Eastern religions and those interested in her Catholic theosophy. Olcott and Blavatsky returned to England to resolve the conflict. Kingsford and Maitland, which is how I started the episode. Kingsford and Maitland resolved not to run for re-election, and Alcott offered Kingsford a charter to form her own hermetic society. At the controversial 1884 election where Kingsford stepped down, Blavatsky made a dramatic entrance and may have attempted to magnetize Kingsford and Maitland, only to be interrupted by Alcott, who found the exercise ill-advised. <laughs> Let me stop you right there, Helena. Can we just... She already stepped down. It's okay. Cut with the mesmerizing. Hold on a second. 
Here's the wait a minute. <laughs> There's a version of this story where Kingsford is expelled, like where she, you know, tries to maintain control, but Blavatsky shows up and all these people throw themselves at her feet and sort of expels Kingsford in this dramatic election. But I, I, that's a story that I think is largely told to pad Blavatsky's you know, reputation mm-hmm. um, and is told by her yeah. admirers. I think this version of events is closer to what actually happened. The new Hermetic Lodge was founded at Charles Massey's home with Alcott present as well as Lady Wilde and her sons, William Wilde and Oscar Wilde. But when it became clear to Alcott that theosophists, rather than choose between the lodges, were actually attending both, he withdrew the charter and suggested that Kingsford just go ahead and form her own group, which she did, (laughs) calling it the Hermetic Society. And she left the Theosophical Society behind, uh, more or less for good. Her new society's discussions concerned the works attributed to Hermes Trismegistus, as well as Buddhism, Kabbalah, and the Old and New Testament. So I think there's always been a Hermetic flavor to her work but it's clearest in these terms i mean when she's actually you know debating now with a group hermes trismegistus but you can see the incarnation of the spirit and then the rising of the spirit back into the spirit realm you know spirit to matter back to spirit this is the emerald tablet you know this is hermeticism through the ages in november 1886 she decided to visit uh, louis pastor's laboratory it was a cold wet day Uh, and she spent five hours outside in the elements. This event inflamed her tuberculosis, which was a long-standing disease uh, that she had struggled with for much of her life. Her doctors advised her to make a trip to the Riviera. Her health was in decline in 1887, and she wrote, It is a black and hateful planet on which I am now incarnate, and to be away and rid of its abominations will be all for joy. I shall go to the gods. I shall see my master, Hermes, the teacher, and queenly Athena, and their holy angels. Although she favored cremation, she decided to allow herself to be buried since cremation would have scandalized her Anglican husband, the vicar's congregation. She told Maitland that she continued to receive illuminations, but she was too weak to remember them, let alone write them down. And she died on the 22nd of February, 1888. She was 41 years old. The cross erected over her grave bore her birth name, Annie. Kingsford and Maitland's work, as a little postscript here, inspired later occultists, most notably Dion Fortune, uh, and they were also a significant influence on none other than Mahatma Gandhi. While living in South Africa, Gandhi struck up an extended correspondence with Maitland, and Gandhi read The Perfect Way, as well as Kingsford's vegetarian The Perfect Way in Diet, which, uh, you know, certainly touched him with his Hindu uh, ideology. That's interesting. Final thoughts? I'm sorry. I'm still stuck on that badass thing you just said that she said oh her last yeah, you left one of her me there. yeah her last <laughs> thing there. you left me there be was, away and rid was, of its like, abominations <laughs> yeah what a metal to go out <laughs> holy hell i mean those weren't her last words but you know as she was but dying still, she she, she might have well been like f all of you i know what i'm doing on my way out <laughs> like oh my god yeah what a life that's so bleak. <laughs> Gave me like full body chills. 
<laughs> it's bleak, but it's, I mean, it's hopeful in, in the attainment of, you know, communion with her master Hermes and Queen I mean, Leithia. yeah, she, she yeah. went out on what she wanted well, to go I out mean, on. Well, I more like her view of like the world that she lived in. Yeah, I mean, to answer your question from earlier, Brie, it seems like in these final uh, days, she certainly did not think Earth was heading in the right direction. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I mean, she doesn't seem to always have been this bleak because life's about discovery. And I mean, I feel like when, regardless of your views on, on, on the Earth and life, before you die, when you kind of get to the point where you're dying and everything is accumulated, you kind of have a clearer view on everything that's happened. <laughs> yeah. 41, though, man, she was young. Yeah, that too. I was like, oh my god. I'm picturing her like Tuberculosis for you, though. Yeah, 41 years old. Chekhov also, by the way, was in his early 40s. Tuberculos- tuberculosis tended to catch up with you in your early 40s if you had it, you know, starting yeah. in your 20s. My grandmother had tuberculosis, uh, but by then, 20th century, uh, they they were able to cure her. Yeah, well, yeah, she lived to lady. tuberculosis now, we're all screwed. <laughs> uh, yeah, well. But, yeah. <laughs> Big issue. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, our sources today included Alan Pert's Red Cactus, The Life of Anna Kingsford, Delightful Modern Biography of Anna, uh, also The Key of the Creeds, published in 1875, and The Perfect Way or the Finding of Christ, published in 1882. Bree, can you give us those words to get us out of here? Uh, I hereby adjourn Adjourn, and declare close this uh, meeting... Of the secret order of alchemical actors until such a time as we get together and do it again. That was word yeah. perfect, man. I want to thank Sean Priest and Evangeline Olson for contributing their voices today. And I would like to thank my uh, delightful and lovely panelists, Brianna Litterall, Metallurgic Prophet. See you guys. And Nikki Hiller Henderson, Naked Truth. Remember that God is inside of you the whole time. The whole time. <laughs> Just look. Just look. It sounded so inappropriate. <laughs> I was wondering why you were laughing like that, but yes, I guess that's a, I, it's a weird way to phrase it. became filthy in my brain. Oh, I'm so no, sorry. No, no. <laughs> that's not how you need Nikki a little more God it. in you, Bree. I don't. I do not need any God. <laughs> my name is. Dr. Rob C. Thompson, I am the Supreme Hierophant of your Secret Order of Alchemical Actors, joining you next time with the story of uh, one Charles Ledbetter and his mystical interpretation of the Catholic Mass, here on Occult Confessions.